You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I look at our world and it looks normal enough. But so much must be so perfect. The structure of all matter, energy, and forces, just so. The numbers of nature, precisely what they are, for human beings, for us, to exist. How could such fine-tuned perfection be? Theologians say God did it. Scientists say there are multiple universes, so many in fact that even by chance anything could happen, including us. Why a fine-tuned universe? Something called the Anthropic Principle may explain it. I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and this is my journey to find out how. I start with John Leslie, the Canadian philosopher. John has become a good friend. We're very different. He climbs mountains, I lift weights, but as for our passion to explain existence, our DNA is identical. We meet in Los Angeles. The fine-tuning of the universe is so extraordinary that physicists, theologians, philosophers are all now grappling with what this means in terms of their own worldview. Mm -hmm. And I want to start with the fine-tuning itself. What is this fine-tuning? And why is it a problem? There's this fact which is an apparent fact anyway, which strikes some people as a problem, that if you change the basic characteristics of our universe very slightly, it would be a universe in which no intelligent living beings could have evolved. There are reasons for thinking that if the particle masses in the early Big Bang hadn't been very carefully tuned, either we just get only light rays or we get only black holes, and so on and so on. In the 1970s, early 1970s, Brandon Carter stated an anthropic principle which said that we ought to take into account the fact that what we should expect to observe would depend on the prerequisites of our presence as observers. He had two forms of this anthropic principle. One is the weak anthropic principle, which makes the point that our position in space and time must be compatible with the fact that we're there making our observations. He had a strong anthropic principle, which he looked on as in a way more controversial, and this is that our universe has to be one in which observers are able to evolve at some stage. Some people have taken this uh, anthropic principle, the strong anthropic principle, and looked at Carter's word must. 
the universe must be one in which observers are able to evolve at some stage. And they've tried to say this means that the universe was forced from its very earliest moments to be one in which observers would evolve. And then they'd brought in things like God in order to give force to the no notion that the universe had to be of this sort. But uh, that wasn't at all intended by Brandon Carter. I myself take quite seriously the God hypothesis that maybe it's God who was the fine tuner who produced everything in a way which was suited to life, but let's get back to that. The alternative is that there are multiple universes with different characteristics. That's to say, multiple regions of reality which are typically very large and uh, which are more or less distinct from each other causally. They have no contact, they don't interact with one another, and they could very plausibly have very different characteristics. Both can be supported. I th think, though, there might be reasons supporting the God hypothesis rather than the multiple universes and observational selection hypothesis. The main reason here is that it could seem that very often one and the same uh, force strength, for example, the force of electromagnetism, has to be tuned to within a very narrow range for several different reasons at once. And therefore, there'd just be no way in which all the requirements could be satisfied, no matter how much tuning you did. Why don't we run into an inconsistency here? Well, possibly because God is so good at choosing the basic laws of nature. He's chosen ones which haven't got into that particular problem. To John, fine-tuning is a huge problem. How could all the laws and constants of nature be tailored so exquisitely? So he offers two explanations. A cosmic tailor, who, John says, has done his job really well, and multiple universes on which the anthropic principle can work its strange magic. There is another possibility, that there's only one way the universe can work, and no other. I should visit some physicists. There's no one I'd rather ask about this apparent fine-tuning than Steven Weinberg, a Nobel laureate and literate interpreter of science. I begin with the cosmological constant the energy of empty space, its fine-tuning seems breathtaking. The question is, what is the energy in empty space? Most people would say, uh, that's a dumb question. Empty space is empty. <laughs> but from the point of view of quantum mechanics, in particular what's called the uncertainty principle, you can't really say there's nothing there. Instead, uh, empty space is uh, roiling with fluctuating fields whose average energy is something. Uh, what is that number? Well, you could try to estimate what it is uh, on the basis of fundamental theory. That energy turns out to be huge. When I say huge, I mean it's enough so that if the energy of empty space was that large, the universe could never have evolved the way it has. The energy in empty space is 56 orders of magnitude too large to be allowed by the way the universe is expanding. That sounds like the worst mismatch between theory yeah. and observation that I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, maybe so, but it cries out for an explanation. 
why is that constant what it is? So people have talked about a way to explain this, and there's a principle that floats around called the anthropic principle. Yeah. What's your understanding of that? Well, the anthropic principle stated baldly is that things are the way they are because otherwise we wouldn't be here, and that, which sounds sort of nonsensical and uh, trivial. Yeah, well, either trivial or nonsensical. If you say trivial in the sense that you just take the fact that we're here as an experimental fact, that's trivial. If you say that we take the fact that we're here as an explanation of why things are the way they are, not just as a casual observation, then it sounds nonsensical or it sounds religious or something. The anthropic principle to me makes sense only if there are a vast number of quote, universes of big bangs, or some not so big, some where the universe goes through its life cycle very briefly, in some sense, perhaps located at different points in space or different eras in time or different parts of the quantum mechanical wave function of the universe. But in some sense, what we usually call the universe is just one episode, one part of a much larger multiverse in which Various constants, including the energy in empty space, vary from, quote, universe to universe. In that case, it is natural that we will be only in the kind of universe which could support life. Now, does this make sense? I don't know. It makes sense if there really are a variety of universes in which the cosmological constant varies from universe the universe. If it turns out to be right, then we will have to live in this kind of world in which we have a diminished capacity to calculate things. Steve would love to explain fine-tuning in terms of deeper laws, first principles, as he says, but he cannot do so. He certainly doesn't posit God, so he comes to the anthropic principle reluctantly, with resignation and sadness. The only way the anthropic principle would make sense, Steve says, is if there are a vast number of universes, a multiverse, so that it would be only natural, not religious that we would find ourselves in the kind of universe which does support life. I hear David Gross, also a Nobel laureate, has a radically different view of the anthropic principle. I need to find out what David thinks of this strange new way to explain the universe. We meet at Caltech. David, one of the topics that people talk about today is the fine-tuning of the universe. And some have uh, developed what has been called the anthropic principle, using anthropic reasoning. What do you think of that? I hate it. <laughs> so I think that it's conceivable, it's possible that some of these arguments are right. Unfortunately, because they fly, of course, in the uh, face of the traditional goal of physics, which is to explain what otherwise appear as coincidences that seem to be necessary for our existence. Historically, people have been led along this path 
many times when confronted with a phenomena that they couldn't explain or seemed to be specially arranged for our existence. And so far, as we've gained understanding, those coincidences turn out to be quite explainable. And so people now argue about cosmology, about the cosmological concept, an area where we still lack deep knowledge. And faced with, again, puzzles, at the moment, insoluble puzzles, they throw up their hands and say, well, everything's possible. Is the alternative only this? Either we have some fundamental theory which indeed can explain all of these constants through one theory, or we must rely on this so-called anthropic principle to explain the fine-tuning. The anthropic is, is principle that, doesn't that? explain anything. It simply says, tough luck. You're never going to really understand it. It was a historical accident. And if so, it, it means we lose a lot of predictive power. A lot of the things we thought were tied together in a fundamental way are accidents. I still have hope of calculating of the fine structure constant and uh, even the cosmological constant. I know very well the theoretical basis for the models that might make this possibility rational. And I don't, I think they're far from trustworthy at the moment and one shouldn't give up. Don't give up, David admonishes his fellow scientists. Keep searching for a fundamental theory that can explain fine-tuning. Show how the universe could exist only one way. Admirable, but here's my problem. Even if we do find that the universe could exist only one way, why should that one way be so hospitable to life? Perhaps God did it. That's the common belief. Perhaps a transcendent, omnipotent being designed the universe. Does fine-tuning suggest a creator? I put the question to John Polkinghorne, a theoretical physicist from the UK who became an Anglican priest. Today, he seeks harmony between science and religion. I meet John in the chapel of Queen's College in Cambridge. John, the fine-tuning of this universe, the so-called anthropic principle, has really become hot. Everybody is involved now. Why is that the case? Well, I think where the dispute lies is not actually in the basic science, but in what you make of that, how you incorporate that within, within a wide, wider view. I mean, it's a fact that carbon, we're carbon-based life, and every atom of carbon in our bodies was once inside a star where people have stardust. Mm -hmm. And that's only possible because the laws of nuclear physics are very delicately balanced to make that a, a possible process. I don't think there's any question about that. The question is, is there a significance in that? And basically there are three different approaches. One simply says, well, we're here because we're here. If there wasn't carbon around, we wouldn't be around, so that's it. That seems to me extraordinarily intellectually lazy <laughs> when you think of how significant and how remarkable the fine-tuning is. 
If you don't do it by that, there are two possible strategies. They're both meta-scientific. That's to say, in my view, they go beyond what is well-established scientific uh, understanding and results. One says, well, maybe there are just lots and lots and lots of different universes. And if there are enough of them, and of course it'd have to be a colossal number, then just by chance, one of them is going to be okay for carbon-based life, and that's the one we live in, because we are carbon-based life. In other words, our universe is just, if you like, the winning lottery ticket that doesn't strike me as being scientific. That seems to me actually extraordinarily rash and prodigal. So that's a metaphysical guess. Of course, there's an alternative metaphysical guess, which is maybe there's only one universe, which is the way it is, because it's not any old world, but it is a divine creation, which has been endowed by its creator with precisely the finely tuned laws and circumstances that uh, have enabled it to produce life. And those are theories on the same level. It isn't that the multiverse people are scientific and the religious people are superstitious. They're both going beyond science itself. I buy the, the, the second one, of course, uh, because it seems to me that the multiverse idea only does one piece of explanatory work. It explains or explains away the fine-tuning, the apparent fine-tuning of our particular universe. I believe seeing the world as God's creation does a lot of other explanatory works. It explains why the world is marvelously ordered, it explains the very widely testified human experience of encounter with the sacred, and so it's part of a called cumulative case of theism. So that's where I put my, my intellectual money. John equates multiple universes and theism in the sense that both are what he calls meta-scientific. Neither, he asserts, can be validated by science. John leans to theism because, as he says, it can explain many pieces of the world puzzle, whereas multiple universes can explain only fine-tuning. I'll pursue this. I hear about Robin Collins, a young professor of philosophy at a college I do not know, who is making a name for himself in theistic circles with his science-savvy reasoning and flint-firm belief. Robin, it may surprise you to know that I have some friends who are atheists. And what they tell me is that the universe is either self-explanatory or it's what they say a brute fact. It is what it is what it is, and that's a full stop. Now the problem with that, um, with respect to the fine-tuning, is it looks like the, it's too coincidental. Whenever we see a coincidence that has a simple, elegant explanation, we usually um, think it provides evidence for that explanation. One way of articulating this more rigorously is via what I call the surprise principle. Let me give an illustration of the surprise principle. I lived much of my adult life in Washington State, so let's suppose I'm walking up to the mountains and I come to a cliff and underneath that cliff is a bunch of rocks that seem to spell welcome to the mountains, Robin Collins. I think that counts as evidence that my brother was up there and arranged the, the, the rocks below the cliff. A skeptic might just simply say, well, you know, the rocks were just simply on the, the cliffside and then an earthquake came along and they all fell into that pattern. What would be wrong with the skeptic's claim? I would say something like this. Whenever a fact such as the rocks below the cliff is more surprising under one hypothesis than another, then it counts in favor 
of the hypothesis under which it's least surprising. Under my brother in the mountains hypothesis, it's not surprising at all that there would be these rocks arranged in this way. But it would be hugely surprising, hugely unexpected for all the rocks to be arranged in just the right way so that an earthquake occurred and they would spell this. So now let's apply that to the universe. All the conditions of the universe are arranged just right just like the rocks below the cliff, for conscious, intelligent beings to occur. That would be very unexpected under atheism. Why would the universe have that arrangement versus all the other possible arrangements in which no life occurs? It's not surprising at all under theism. And all good God, we might very well expect such a being to create a universe where conscious, intelligent beings could arise. Hence, the fact that the universe has those features is fine-tuned, I believe, counts as significant evidence in favor of theism over that hypothesis your atheist friends are recommending. Surprise? As a benchmark for explaining reality? Not bad, Robin. But then again, everything about this stuff can surprise me. I see every point of view. I'm a transient believer. I feel like a teenage boy with a jumping crush on every girl he meets. Have I become too credulous? I should find someone who really understands the profound physics of the universe and who's unafraid to reach beyond it. That someone is Paul Davies a British cosmologist who combines scientific expertise with fearless curiosity to push outer limits of explanations. Paul is at Arizona State University, where he founded the Center for Fundamental Concepts in Science, called BEYOND. Paul, does the postulation of a multiverse and the anthropic principle, does that eliminate the possibility of a supernatural being, a god? Part of the motivation for introducing the multiverse explanation for the biological fine-tuning of the universe was to finally get rid of God, because the explanation that the universe is so fit for life because God made it that way uh, just appeared anathema to, to many scientists. But I have to say uh, that I know religious scientists who are very comfortable with the idea of a multiverse and a god. I mean, they say uh, that, well, if you've got this god who is, uh, is all-powerful, then why can this god not make an infinite number of universes? It doesn't have to limit it to this one. So I don't think you could ever really use it to prove that god does not exist. But I think probably it undermines the argument that many people have that the universe looks sort of too good to just be an accident and therefore we need God to explain it. Now I think Darwin did a great job in eliminating uh, the need for God in designing the species. In the same way, I think the multiverse does cut the ground from under those who would say that the universe is put together in such an ingenious and clever way there must be a being who has done it. One of the things I've tried to do is to get away from using this word God because it means so many different things to so many people and w what I think is a more helpful thing to focus on is not uh, is there a God that explains the universe but does the universe have a meaning or a purpose? 
but I would certainly say that the universe appears as if it's got a meaning or a purpose. A better word I have is that the universe seems to be about something. Now I'm not sure that's quite the same as purpose, but it seems to be close to the notion of meaning. So we find meaning in the universe. Science is, after all, an exercise in uncovering what's going on. But well, well, why does it have to make sense? I mean, some people well, it doesn't would, have to why, make sense, why? but I mean, it does seem to make sense. And, and most physicists, even the most strongly atheistic physicists, expect it to make sense to them. They, as an act of faith, they believe that it's intelligible and beautiful. So I, I like to say not so much, well, you know, there is a purposeful God who has sort of made it all, and the purpose of the universe can be seen through that uh, theological dimension. It's more that. Uh, that the purposefulness or meaningfulness of the universe is inherent within it and that we discern that through science. So what have I learned? Let's distinguish a real problem from a possible solution. Fine-tuning is the problem. Why is our universe so exquisitely suited for life? The anthropic principle is a possible solution, but it sounds trivial or circular. That among countless universes, only in those universes exquisitely suited for life, could life exist? To wonder why their universe was so exquisitely suited for life. Yet there is sense and significance here. If countless universes really exist, the anthropic principle explains why our universe seems so special when in fact it is not. Ironically though, by recognizing that such breathtaking fine-tuning demands explanation, the anthropic principle may also support theological belief. God? Multiple universes? Be careful trying to get closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and God, visit our website, closertotruth.com.